Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. And a special thank you uh, to people who reached out and uh, checked on whether or not my voice would return. It's uh, not 100%, but it's there. And I'm very grateful to our own Mr. Noel Brown and our super producer, Max Williams. For bearing hey, with me. <laughs> there's that golden voice. Oh, shucks. Who's that golden voice? Oh, geez. You know, coming it, out of that golden boy. <laughs> we're glad to have you back, buddy. Thanks, man. You know, um, we don't talk about it too much on air, but um, for any show that Max, Noel, and I do, uh, we end up becoming pretty close friends because we work together all the time. And I just want to thank you guys so much for uh, being in my corner. Thankfully, it wasn't COVID, uh, but couldn't work with a, a better bunch of people. And and um, Noel, you and I have talked about it in the past when we're hanging, because we are actually friends and we do hang out outside of the show. We've talked about how weird and extraordinary it is to genuinely vibe with pretty much everyone you work with. I think we're immensely fortunate. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's no coincidence that like most of my and your and uh, many of our friends are people that we work with, or we've been lucky enough to bring people that are our friends, were our friends into the work family. So it all kind of, the lines kind of blur. Like I knew Max, you know, uh, and his brother Alex before they worked for us. And um, now we just get to hang out more. <laughs> it's kind of great. <laughs> and uh, you guys are, you guys in particular, not a ding on anyone else we work with, but you guys in particular are such a, such a gift to this show and I'm, I'm always grateful to hang out. So um, the gift that keeps on giving, but not like in the herpes kind of way. Right. And not in like the, uh, not in the short form animation gif way, though the gift also, that keeps on gifting, I think would be interesting anyway. So if it didn't gift, it wouldn't be, if it didn't keep on gifting, it wouldn't be a proper gift. That is a very thing. good point. Noel. that is a very good point. So, we're going to be talking about some very good points today with some help from one of our excellent research associates, Mr. Zach Williams. When previously we left you without a dope beat to step to, we were talking about the end of the world as imagined by a man named William Miller. Now, no, Max, when we ended part one, we had set up uh, some pretty in-depth context about Miller's origin story and about his move from a small-town preacher to a man obsessed with calculating the return of Jesus Christ to his role as a pop culture phenomenon of the time, really. He was a superstar, uh, and Things got incredibly um, 
Oh, they they just escalated as he got closer and closer to his imagined prediction, the second coming of Christ. But man, we teased <laughs> we teased how um, how other denominations, established Christian denominations, started to clap back at Miller because, like, where, where do we leave off? Let's see. Churches started saying, if you're a traveling preacher and you talk about Millerism, you can't preach here. And then they started cracking down on people who um, who are just church members who might sure. read newspapers or pamphlets about Millerism. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and a doomsday uh, theology by any other name is still as, as depressing. Maybe they didn't call it Millerism directly or claim to be Millerites. Like, I kind of wonder, like, would you even claim that? It would be more just kind of like, you know, uh, something people would understand based on what your theology is. I don't know you'd necessarily even make that some sort of badge that you'd wear around. But I imagine that anyone starting to preach these end times kind of prophecies would start to be ostracized to some degree. In fact, there's a great example uh, of a church elder by the name of Levi Stockman who absolutely refused to stop preaching this doom and gloom stuff. Um, I mean, doomsday and gloomsday stuff, I guess. And this 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 went hard in terms of like church leaders and, and the way the, these these folks who were these hardliner Millerites were treated. He fell deathly ill uh, with uh, with the consumption. Ben, you've described it as uh, as the Doc Holiday disease. Oh, he, I love. He was our he was our Huckleberry. Mm-hmm. He was somebody's Huckleberry. He was at the very least the Huckleberry of his wife and child, who were in desperate uh, danger of being left um, penniless because the the church officials. You know, he was an elder of the church. It was therefore kind of his livelihood was tied to their rulings were threatening to, you know, strip him of his pension if he didn't stop talking all that jive. Yeah, which meant that his wife and his children would not have any pension benefits, all but condemning them to the poorhouse. Yet Stockman stuck to his ideological, theological guns, and as a result, he was expelled from the ministry officially and just a few weeks later, he died of consumption. This this is one example that shows us the larger uh, the larger horizon here. By the summer of 1843, Millerite, Adventist, and the more established Protestant denominations of Christianity are at loggerheads. They're super tense, and a lot of Adventists many of whom already had like their own membership in an established denomination, right? They might be like Methodists, they might be Protestants, but they're also Millerites. And they started saying, well, should we get out of our membership with our current denomination? They almost did, but an announcement went out in one of those publications that we talked about in part one. This one was called The Signs of the Times, and it encouraged them to stay put And it said, look, don't run away because you are already embedded in this community. So stay there. And while you're there, start talking about Millerism. Start talking about how Jesus Christ is on the way and very soon. We want to thank lineagejourney.com for their excellent article, A Snapshot of the Millerite Movement from 1839 to 1844. No spoilers just yet. Uh, and you would think the Millerite apparatus suing for peace would have maybe calmed those tensions somewhat, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough. That's why things like the Congregational Journal, another publication, went out on August 12th, 1843, and put this hit piece out on the front page that said, look, the second Advent gospel is malarkey. And then later that year, also 1843, they published an article by Nathaniel Wells that was a takedown of everything Miller had written about and lectured about. And this became a smear campaign, honestly, regardless of what you think about Christianity or or, um, differences between denominations, there was no real civil discussion of his weird math that we mentioned earlier 
or his his <laughs> philosophical no one was talking about that no one was adding up the numbers instead they were jumping to third base and saying look all these millerites any second adventist is a fanatic their leaders are dangerous to society they want you to think the world is ending and they're mad they're lunatics yeah i mean you know it's it's I kind of get it. Uh, it just, you know, it's like, can we find some silver lining here? Especially given that, like, the dude was just kind of digging, looking for. He was kind of what do you call that, Ben? When you like sort of have like a a um, an outcome that you're sort of searching for, uh, you find ways of, of of finding the information that validates your uh, your pre your foregone conclusion. Confirmation bias, yeah, nail on that. That's the one. Would you would you agree? There's a little bit of that going on with Miller. I mean, or or, or do you think he? I can't remember exactly. Didn't he sort of like always have a bit of a, a doomsday mindset around religion, or did he just figure that he he felt like he cracked the code? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because Noel he was originally more of a deist when he was introduced to the idea of a god who made everything, right? A god who exists who made everything, but is sort of too high level now to be concerned with the day to day stuff. And then when he had his uh, crisis of faith and he encountered these revelations, he became obsessed with figuring out exactly when the messianic figure, Jesus Christ, Jesus H. Christ by some accounts, uh, <laughs> mostly mostly stand-up comics, uh, would return. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think that the, we see established denominations grappling with a couple of issues here. First, this takes away sociopolitical control from these established denominations. And Oh, that's a good point. Though. Yeah, it is. And second, because if it's all going to come crashing down anyway, then mm -hmm. what's the point? And, yeah. and like, why believe one over another in terms of like, you know, them being able to exercise control over this earthly realm. Mm -hmm. If you put all the emphasis on the afterlife exclusively, then how are you going to control people and bend them to your will? Right, right. So why do I need to put uh 10% tithe on my income to build a church that's not being constructed until 1848. You know what I mean? So this is a, a problem for them. But I would argue, secondly, there's also the issue of there there's also the issue of putting an expiration date on things, right? And it's an expiration date we have to remember that's coming very soon. And this was, make no mistake, sowing some amount of chaos in society. Uh, there was one, this is an anonymous report, we couldn't really find the specifics here, but according to the Dartmouth article we looked at in part one, there was supposedly a selectman, a committee member in some town in New Hampshire, this is a secular, you know, local municipal thing, he was a Millerite and he resigned, he quit his job, and said, look, I need to spend the rest of the year getting my affairs in order for the end of the world. Imagine quitting your job for the end of the world. Imagine like, imagine we get an email or a text from Max one day and Max says, hey guys, I've been reading some stuff. Uh, I've been on some blogs and I'm pretty sure the world as we know it is ending in September, so I'm going to just take some time and uh, play Skyrim once yeah, yeah. more. Get my house in order, yeah. my, my Skyrim I mean, house. Guys, I, I guess you haven't picked up on that, but, you know, I'm disappearing in September. I'm going off to uh, <laughs> Seattle and Portland. Mm. I mean... I wasn't going to come out straight forward and say this to freak you guys out, but, you know, there there might be a reason behind that, guys. All right, we're going to put a pin in this for now. We're going to have a serious talk uh, off air. Uh, but in the meantime, Ben, this is where I start asking myself the question of what differentiates a religion from a cult? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you start talking about these sort of like doomsday cults and people that are rallying around a perceived end of the world, and it is sort of more of a niche kind of thing, is that what you'd consider a cult? Are we starting to get into more cult-like territory here that is maybe more rallying around a single figure? Also, as we know, cults don't necessarily have to rally around a single figure. You can rally around like an idea. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, though? Is, is, this, uh, is this sort of an example of, of an early version of kind of a doomsday cult? That's a great question. Yeah, it's uh, one of early America's very first doomsday movements for sure. And I'm so glad you asked because, um, you know, uh, we've worked extensively on stuff they don't want you to know. Another show we do, investigating various cults like Adnan Oktar's sex cult in Turkey. Uh, that's out now. Uh, we've also looked at how cults are formed. And one big misconception about cults 
is that they always are oriented around a religious belief. Multi-level marketing schemes can be cults. Life coaching groups and fitness groups can be cults. Uh, no ding on you, CrossFit. Just don't feel like you have to email us. Uh, one thing that's interesting, this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you want to understand cults, I would say look toward tactics rather than ideology. The ideology is fluid and it does, the ideology doesn't really matter. One of the best analyses of what creates a cult is something called the bite model, which was created by Steve Hassan. And it's really a model for authoritarian control. What differentiates a cult from a religion, I would say, would be the tactics applied, the authoritarian control. Bite stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. And you can read a, a full list of it, of what that means, but they're all the hits. Separation from your family, you know what I mean? Separation mm -hmm. from information from the outside world, the idea of thought crime, the idea of manipulating the ranges of emotions that people or followers can experience uh, without being punished. I, I actually, I will put this in our chat because this is such a great link for everyone. And if you feel a friend is involved in a cultic organization of some sort, look at the bite, bite model and see what kind of control is being exercised upon them. But it's funny though, because like we're talking about you know, again, like sometimes there's a little bit of confusion between like what is a religion versus what is a cult. And uh, to me, it's like if people are leaving a more, let's say, traditional religion, like a regular Protestant um, Christianity and going for this like Adventist uh, Millerism that could ostracize them from their families. They could be, you know, treated as outsiders and shunned and fully be like all about that. It's like, it's fine. You know, it's going to change my life. I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I'm committing to this. So while we don't necessarily have specific examples of this uh, per se, outside of this elder, you know, who's, he ultimately died um, as a result of his belief system. So it's a little, I don't know, maybe we'll put a pin in that one too, because I think it's, a, it's more of an interesting question than it is something that we necessarily have an answer for. Because as we know, many religious movements, some people call cults, other people call like, you know, a religious community or religious movement. So it is, it is a little bit of a kind of gray area sometimes. But, but Ben, do you have an opinion on whether Millerism is a cult or just an offshoot of a religious movement? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I will also put a pin in that because it's a bit of a sticky wicket. Maybe you, fellow ridiculous historians, can give us your take at the end. We have some plot twists ahead. I would say that another like definition of a cult that I just sort of made up along the years is uh, really it's a matter of time, right? Because, you know, one person's cult is another person's revealed religion with a tome and everything. Exactly. So maybe maybe you're a cult until you make it past the first 200 years or something like that. Uh, Fair. Again, Fair. totally made up. <laughs> but, but, okay, so we know that um, we know that there were other reports of people leaving their day-to-day -day lives. The Sentinel reported uh, that same year that two justice commissions who were working in New Hampshire also left their jobs and were supposed to join up with the Millerites and said, hey, the world's ending. I don't need to go to work anymore. You know, it gets really ugly too because people started saying that this uh, Millerite movement or Millerism was also responsible for suicides. They were saying some people are so certain that the world is ending that they are taking their own lives. But as you and I found, Noel, this was often not based on uh, <laughs> not based on really solid evidence. We actually have an excerpt uh, from the Boston Evening Journal, which was reprinted by the Sentinel. That's right. The headline is End of the World. 
Died in Pelham, New Hampshire, 15th. John H. Shortage, aged about 55. Mr. S. was formerly a merchant of respectable standing in Portsmouth, but by misfortunes in business had suffered much from almost incessant mental derangement. Uh, On the day of his death, he was imagining the time of the second advent was to take place. He had a garb made for the occasion, and with this, he was waiting. Uh, Until became impatient, he climbed to the top of a high tree, there mantled in his long white ascension robe, he made one aspiring effort, but was precipitated to the ground and instantly died from a broken neck. Okay, once again, whenever we read these kinds of things on the show, Ben, I'm just always taken by the ass around the elbow approach to get to like a really simple thing. It's like, and he fell out of a tree and died. (laughs) But instead it's there mantled in his long white ascension robe. He made one aspiring effort, but was precipitated to the ground. Yeah. And instantly died from a broken neck. I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying I think it's wonderful, but it is funny to see the the uh, literary gymnastics that uh, the, that happen sometimes in these older, like, editorial pieces. Oh, yeah, they're feeling themselves for sure. I agree. Also, uh, that snarky last sentence that says, maybe he was jumping, maybe he was trying to fly to heaven. That's really rude to someone who has died. Yes, exactly. Now, it's the subtext is dripping with, uh, with sarcasm. Mm. And this also uh, props to the Sentinel because they did say this was doubted by the local paper there in Portsmouth, the Portsmouth Journal. But stories like this, they get eyeballs. People like reading about these things. It's the same reason people slow down to watch car accidents in traffic today. These stories were reprinted across the Northeast. And again, we've talked in the past about how the big red meat will run uh, on the cover of a newspaper on Monday and the retraction or correction will be in the back of the newspaper on Tuesday and no one will read it. So nobody's really fact-checking these and nobody bothered to look into the background of the people who were allegedly committing suicide for this. It's kind of like when you hear the old argument about video games making people violent or something, or music making people violent. What you see in a lot of those cases is the person who uh, committed an act of violence was already maybe not in the best place mentally, right? And they just happened to play a video game or they happened to enjoy a certain genre of music. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just need a little push uh, off the cliff or out of the tree. Um, It really is kind of something that was probably going to happen one way or another sooner and or later. Uh, And then it's easy to craft a narrative around it, which is clearly what was happening because all of these suicides were beginning to be kind of placed uh, on the shoulders of Miller based almost entirely on like anecdotal evidence, like the kind of thing we just saw reprinted. Mm -hmm. And then people realize, publishers and journalists realize that they could sell a lot of papers doing this. Yeah. And, and this exacerbated the problem. You know that old journalistic catchphrase, if it falls out of trees, it leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or uh, one of the popular statements that uh, papers throughout New England, which said that Miller frightened old women by scores into fits and young and old children half out of their wits. Uh oh. Great. Yeah. So, so we know a little bit about human psychology, which hasn't changed for thousands and thousands of years. Obviously, we always say people throughout history were just as smart and as vulnerable as those of us uh, tuning in today. Well, because I mean, you know, I remember growing up in the Methodist church and I went through a period of being terrified of of, of going to hell and of, of the devil and sin and all that stuff. And uh, then you, you, you kind of goes even further and the guilt gets piled on even harder with like Catholicism and the idea of, you know, God being this kind of vengeful God. But this really like, you know, takes the cake in terms of like striking fear into the hearts of followers, right? I mean, it's like not only do you have to worry about the afterlife, you kind of got to worry about fire and brimstone coming here to where you live. Like it's almost like a war is coming. I just can't imagine living with that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like it, I think some people probably took it as a comfort in some ways and wanted others to know and repent because they believe the only way to save your soul is to repent in advance of this apocalypse, or this, you know, uh, this doomsday. But I just can't imagine it like 
being a very pleasant existence. No, yeah, it's a, it's a hard sell too, right? Act now. But uh, what what you're talking about with your early time in the church reminds me of a a personal story. I, I will share it. It's quite brief. When I was a kid, for a time, I was uh, I was forced to attend a, a church. I won't name the denomination, and I think I just didn't pick up the right vibe they were trying to convey. Because when I learned that, I, I learned that. Um, Jesus Christ, and again, this is not dinging on Christians. This is dinging on me as a stupid kid. I learned that there was this guy named Jesus Christ, and at one day in your life, he would find you. He would get you. He would change you. And before then, the only creatures I had heard capable of doing this sort of stuff were boogeymen. So I used to stay up at night thinking Jesus Christ could be anywhere. He could be in my closet. He could be under my bed. And I couldn't let my guard down because he would get me. And I wouldn't be me anymore. Um, picture young Ben Bolin uh, with the uh, Sunday school teacher trying to figure out how to both correct, reassure, and at the same time punish this wildly paranoid child. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, the patience of a saint. <laughs> well, that's the Sunday school teacher at least. But the reason we're bringing up psychology and bring up psychology because we know that in general, when people have beliefs that are emotionally based and very close to what they see as their identity, attacking those beliefs doesn't tend to get them to question those beliefs. It makes them double down. So it should be no surprise that attacks on people who believe in Millerism only made them double down. They went further into the extremities of their school of thought. They started, as a result of this persecution in the press and these smear campaigns, they, the Millerites, started writing to Miller, finding him, buttonholing him in person, and saying, look, we need more details about exactly when Jesus is returning. And by this time in 1843, they thought they finally got their answer. They uh, narrowed the date down to a specific day, which Miller had not done before. He had only made a window of time when he was pressed for it. And so it came to pass that after a few different pitches and brainstorming, the Millerite movement believed that Jesus Christ would return to Earth on October 22nd, 1844. And by this time, there were somewhere between 50,000 to 100,000 active Millerites in the U.S. and in Canada. Most of them were in England and New York. So imagine, all of a sudden, you're not a Millerite, right? But all of a sudden, you hear like 100,000 people coming in unison and saying, oh, watch out, October 22nd, 1844, that's when it goes down. They've got their expiration date. And this is, I think, what we were teasing earlier, Noel. If the world ended in October of 1844, how on earth are we here in a, uh, 2022 making this podcast? Yeah, I mean, somebody, well, what's the expression you've been using, Ben? Uh, sort of weird math. Um, right. it, it, yeah. Again, it's sort of like a hallmark of a lot of these kind of doomsday theologies where there's uh, an end date, you know, an expiration date for humanity. Inevitably, you're going to pass it. Things don't go as expected. You got to find a way to pass the buck and say, oh, well, here, here's it was an honest mistake. And here's why. The biggest and funniest version of this, I think, is in the Church of the Subgenius, which is a, 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 a fake cult, a mock cult. But then again, it's one of these ones that has taken on such a life of its own that some people are really into it. Um, it's it's all kind of a, a satirical sort of like bacchanalian kind of society of, of folks that like to, you know, smoke a lot of weed and live kind of openly hippie sort of sexual lives and, and do these weird parties they have called X Day and different like gatherings uh, every year, uh, multiple ones across the country. Um, but their prophet, you know, Bob Dobbs, J.R. Bob Dobbs, he, he had a doomsday prediction as well, uh, or at least when the these aliens were going to come and, and, you know, bring all the, the subgenius uh, up into their mothership. Maybe I'm getting this not quite right. But the point is they justified it with, like, oh, he was looking at it upside down. 
And mm. then so if you look at it right side up, the date becomes, or what, what it should have been, that date becomes like thousands of years in the future. <laughs> so it's easy. Right. That was an easy one to pass the buck with. Right. And this was a social crisis in the United States and to a degree in Canada at the time, because, spoiler alert, folks, Miller's calculations seem to be incorrect. And we've had well more than a century to think about that. Uh, it, it, as far as we can tell, there was not a second coming on October 22nd, 1844. This became something called the Great Disappointment. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. When I say social crisis, what we mean is that numerous people gave up their farms. They quit their jobs. They sold off their earthly possessions. They thought they were on a one-way ticket to heaven. Uh, there were women in Worcester, Massachusetts, who were giving away their jewelry. They were getting rid of their clothing. They cut off their hair. A lot of Millerites started making these white gowns for themselves. And sadly, Shades of heaven ga Heaven's Gate, another cult that would come much later, they called these gowns ascension robes. 
people in Groton, Massachusetts, actually climbed nearby Mount Wasachusett to await the second coming. And there was, you know, there are heartbreaking human interest stories. There was one older guy in Harvard, Mass, who couldn't get all the way up to the mountain due to some physical restrictions. So he climbed to the top of the tallest apple tree he owned. Uh, And there were so many stories of people throughout New England climbing on rooftops, any peak of natural elevation, just so it could be, in their mind, easier to lift them to the sky, all of them waiting for October 22nd. October 22nd passes. You'll see uh, that a lot of people in Boston, Hartford, Cincinnati, Pennsylvania, on and on, they were waiting in various places for the end of the world and the second coming. And a lot of them got together on the 23rd of October because there was still some debate about the exact day. And they said, maybe it'll be You know, just like people today who are waiting on a delivery in the mail during the pandemic, they're like, well, maybe it's like, you know, a heavenly supply chain issue. So midnight comes, dawn comes, noon, maybe sundown, and the days pass uneventfully. Some people wait for multiple days. And some of them, just like you said, Noel, some of them start to say, well, we've got to regroup. Everybody's making fun of us, and we we feel pretty down. Miller himself, by the way, is still alive, and he's thinking, okay, maybe I got some part of the math wrong. You know what I mean? Because, again, he really believed in this. He wasn't trying to get yeah, money. Yeah, I know it. And I know I've been sort of toying with that idea and, and, and experimenting with this whole idea of, like, the huckster versus the true believer. And uh, it's true. He really wasn't getting trying to get money, and, and I don't know— I guess it's true. I guess you're right. He really did, but he really was a true believer. Um, he really did think he cracked some kind of, you know, mystical code and he just wanted to spread the word of what he knew. So he really was trying to like to understand what went wrong. Yeah, he really was. And he would continue waiting for the end of the world until he passes away in 1849. But as this happens, this thing we call the great disappointment, we've got to go back to our great PR man, propagandist Joshua V. Himes, who really pulled the levers of mass media to popularize Millerism, he continued publishing the Advent Herald well into the 1850s. And then he went west and became an Episcopal priest, I believe. For a lot of people, when this day came and passed, it was this tremendous bitter disappointment, almost a tragedy beyond words. They felt they had given up everything for their religion. And in a secular sense, they very much had. And they started praying. You can read again from the uh, excellent Dartmouth College Library Bulletin article, The End of the World by Gary Waite. You can read in full a recounting of this uh, that sounds a lot like a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. But he did not come. And now to turn again to the cares, perplexities, and dangers of life in full view of jeering and reviling unbelievers who scoffed as never before was a terrible trial of faith and patience. When Elder Himes visited Waterbury, Vermont, a short time after the passing of the time, and stated that the brethren should prepare for another cold winter, my feelings were almost uncontrollable. I left the place of meeting and wept like a child. And this was an experience shared by many people following the Millerite movement. William Miller for himself did not, uh, he was confused, but he, he didn't give up his faith, his certitude that the second coming of Christ could be predicted. Uh, And he held this belief, despite public ridicule in the years that followed, all the way to his death on December 20th, 1849. On his gravestone is the inscription, But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest, and stand in thy lot at the end of days. Which, as many of us in the audience may recognize, is from Daniel 12, 13. It might surprise you now at this point, folks, to realize that 
Adventist theology has continued. The movement fell apart. Joshua V. Himes tried to raise money for people who had given away all their stuff. William Miller died, largely forgotten. But a Millerite, a teenager from Maine named Ellen White, continued to preach a version of Adventist thought, and her followers at first were called Sabbatarians. In 1863, they formed something called the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and this group is around today, and it's bigger than Millerism ever was. There are 19 million members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Yeah, it's, and again, that's where I was familiar outside of Advent calendars, the idea of being an Adventist uh, from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but I didn't really know much about what their uh, their beliefs were. So this was super interesting and educational, I think, for, for, for all of us. But here's the thing. It's another one of those examples of like, okay, the date, it passes, but it can also lead to other conversations. So the exact date of the second Advent was revised a couple of times. So you might point to critics of, of the movement saying that, well, I mean, we, we passed Miller's uh, prediction, therefore the whole thing is bunk. And, and the guy, you know, was, was a fraud or at the very least was not keyed into the Holy Spirit in the way that he may have thought. Miller's year of the second advent came with the appearance of a very visible and, uh, and brilliant comet. Uh, it was it was, uh, you know, one of these things that was like an event, you know, on planet Earth at the time when people really didn't understand much about the movement of uh, of, the, of the spheres, or at least in, in so much as they do today. Yeah. And this was, by the way, a these revisions come about partially because people were committing a sunk cost fallacy. They'd already gotten rid of all their stuff. You know what I mean? They had become convinced that they were right, they had certitude. And when this didn't come to pass, they were parodied. Uh, they had to, in many ways, start life over again. This was a great disappointment. It was a great disappointment for William Miller himself. He was still convinced the end was near, but as, as we said earlier, he thought maybe he had made a slight miscalculation. The error was not divinity, the error was human on his part. So he wrote this letter to his pal Himes and a general address to his followers, and he apologized. He apologized in a very sincere way, and he added a poem. And we thought that would be a nice place to end. It's, it's a little bit long, so I think we're going to double drag in it. Uh, Noel, you want to do the honors here, and let's just like really lean into the emotional depth. What do you say, two lines apiece? Yeah. It's an even number. Yeah, let's try. How tedious and lonesome the hours, while Jesus, my Savior, delays. I have sought him in solitude's bowers and looked for him all the long days. Yet he lingers, I pray, tell me why. His chariot no sooner returns. To see him in clouds in the sky, my soul with intensity burns. I long to be with him at home, my heart swallowed up in his love. On the fields of New Eden to roam, and to dwell with my Savior above. Wow. That's, that's powerful stuff. And listen, we're leaning into the reading because it's fun. We're not mocking the man's at sentiments. All, at uh, all. It's, it's just, a, it's fun to do. Uh, this kind of writing lends itself to this sort of reading. And that's where we leave it uh, for today. This is a, a really interesting two-part episode on the history of, I guess, one of America's first doomsday theologies. Is it a cult? Is it just a niche religion? It's certainly a Seventh-day Adventist. Can't really call niche with, I believe, what did we say, Ben? 19 million followers. Right. Um, that is, uh, is is pretty pretty massive. So why don't you let us know? We have ways that you can contact us. In fact, um, Ben and I both exist on the internet as individual human people. And if you send it to one of us, we share it with each other and we'll, uh, we'll write back to you. You can find me on Instagram where I am at 
How Now and Noel Brown. Ben's got a couple other ways, one of which might be uh, one of the best ways to, to reach out in terms of a tweet. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, I am on Instagram at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N, where you can learn more about some stuff that I can't quite say on air, but I've got a ton of secret projects on the way. If you are more of a, a Twitter uh, Twitter native, then you can find me at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter, uh, where I don't need a voice to contact people. And I, I love to hear from all our fellow ridiculous historians. The big, uh, what Corporate America would call the value add for uh, hitting me up on Twitter is that you will also be able to find the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at ATL underscore Max Williams, where, yeah, you'll see all my fun activities and trolling of Ben and stuff. Okay, great. Yes. So <laughs> come for the tweets, stay for the, the trolling as Noel, Max, and I uh, figure out what our own prediction for the end of the world is. In the meantime, we can't wait for you to join us again, folks, where we're going to talk about some uh, very unethical shenanigans Uncle Sam got up to in our own St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks, as always, to Max. Thanks to our composer, Mr. Alex Williams. And again, special thanks to you, Noel, and you, Max, uh, for bearing with me when I thought I would, I would be mute. Oh, I'm glad you won that particular battle with the sea witch this time, Ben. Um, because uh, we need. There's that golden voice. There's oh, that golden voice. I'm blushing. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.